Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, well, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Mr. Ed Slater. I'm good, thanks, JB. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem at all. Uh, so, end of season. Have you been away? What, what have you been up to? Well, I've, I've been down in uh, in Salkham for a week with with the Twelve Trees. Um, but oh, we, really? We had our third child about a month ago, so the idea of going abroad is um, a scary one. So we, we're, we're staying in the country for now. Nice, and also congratulations. Cheers. Uh, boy, girl. It's a boy. It's a boy. So I, I had two girls to start off with, and then the third and third and final is uh, is a boy. So now yeah, ha- delighted to uh, to finish there. Now, now, have you got um uh, have you got ambitions for uh, a young rugby player there? To be honest with you, I've, I haven't really thought that far ahead. But um, I want to I want to get them into sport. Uh, our, our eldest, she um, she's she's uh, pretty decent with with a tennis racket. So. Um, I think she'll she'll go down that route, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly be pushing him down the local rugby club. But I think I wasted about sixteen years of my life playing <laughs> so um, before I realised how how good it was down at a local rugby club. So yeah, I'll be taking down there is when, that he's, r- when he's old enough. Is that right? So were you a footballer before you got into rugby? Oh, completely football obsessed. Yeah, yeah, completely football obsessed. And then I um, I went to a school that was uh, we played like one rugby game a year. Yeah, and it was kind of the typical stuff like your fastest blokes on the wings and all of that. So I, I never really played. Um, I was just pure football, and then I got to about sixteen and, and realised I wasn't going to be good enough. So um, a, a mate of mine who uh, who kind of played at Milton Keynes for a long time, he, he persuaded me to go down there, and I never really looked back. Is that where you're from then originally? Yeah, yeah. I grew. Up, I'm, I'm born in Leicester, but I grew up in Milton Keynes. Yeah, the kind of See, uh, middle of nowhere town, really. Like nothing, see, nothing really reports from Milton Keynes, does it? So, um, well, I mean, it's, no, uh, it's, a, it's a great place to grow up, to be honest with you. Is, is Milton Keynes designed in grids, in, uh, and they claim it's a sim- similar way to New York? Uh, it's it's based on on a, a, an American city. I can't remember which one, but it, it is. Yeah, it's it's all grid system. But when I, I grew up there, I obviously knew didn't really know any different. So um, <laughs> ever since I kind of come out of that bubble. Mm. Everyone goes to me. What the hell is going on in Milton Keynes? I've been there. I've got no idea where I'm going. What's what's going on? Where anything is? Um, but obviously, coming from there, you, it, you, you're not really aware of that. See, that really surprised me because when I think of Leicester, I think of like the most traditional of rugby hotbeds. But I also think they yeah. kind of get their players from the, the same sort of places. Like everyone's from Uppingham School or Oakham or some or some such thing. Or they've or they've been immersed in the game from age of two yeah in fact i actually think that i actually think that everyone's like sam vesti like three like three generations deep <laughs> well hinkley skin <laughs> yeah quite <laughs> there's there's a handful of them yeah like sammy harrison's still a, a good hinkley skin um but yeah no you you look at norfolk as well they get a lot of players from norfolk and they do actually don't um, they because yeah, on the well, that's boys one there. of their, their um, kind of catching areas, and quite often you see a lot of good players come out of there. I mean, some of them speak for themselves, like the Youngs brothers, for example. But um, a few of the younger younger guys coming through now, they're like Harry Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes from from the same same local club as the Youngs brothers, and I think he's going to be a real prospect. Uh, so, when did you first get in contact with Leicester Tigers? Then was it directly to Leicester Tigers that that you went? From like your club rugby, no, no. So what what happened was I was I went 
obviously I finished um, finished football and went down the down to Milton Keynes and I had no idea what was going on or, or how to play the game and I just played there for a couple of years and had a laugh and did the usual stuff that the local rugby clubs did went on tour to Holland and um, it was just I was just having having a, a good time playing playing rugby and then uh, I got to the end of school and uh, I didn't do too well um, and I was working in a call centre really and my friend who was painting and decorating at the time said, oh, I, I don't think I can do this for another year. So we'd saved up a little bit of money and we, we decided we were going to play a bit of club rugby in Australia. And we went out there for six, seven months to start off with. And um, that was where my eyes kind of opened to to some really, really good coaching. We, we were playing alongside some some decent like schoolboy mm. players um, that come out of the school system in Australia. And, and our rugby kind of just... Um, rocketed from there and after about seven months uh, I went back back to England wasn't a lot going on and and the the club the club invited me back and and they uh, they sorted me a job a place to stay they they put me into to university and um, I ended up staying there about three and a half years and uh, towards the end of it I was I was going really well and I was I was in the Waratahs set up and and there was a rugby coach at at my club side and he was a He's an old Yorkshireman, and uh, he used to used to coach at Leicester in the academy, and he he, he coached kind of uh, Dan Cole and and Tommy Youngs and that that kind of era. Yeah, and so he had contact with with um, with Cockers. So he said, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a trial. Uh, Leicester will fly you back. You go wow. back there for a month, see how you get on." Um, and it kind of went from there. So December. I think it was about 2009. I went, I went back for a trial for a month. That's amazing. And, uh, and uh, I think Jordan Crane picked me up on the first day, and I was kind of thrown in at the deep end. Wow! So it was, uh, yeah. It... Look, thinking back to, it, I mean, it feels like a long time ago. It's not really that long, but um, it was, uh, yeah, bizarre circumstances really to go from from playing club rugby in Australia, having not really had any ambition to playing rugby, to to suddenly being on trial at Leicester. That's amazing. So you you were near. I say near. You were when you say you're in the like the Warsaw setup. You're in one of the feeder clubs go, going into them. Well, you, how it works is those regions, those uh, regions like New South Wales, they all have kind of club club competitions going on. So I was playing in the in the club comp in Sydney. Yeah, and I was also part of they, their kind of A team. Is called I think they've changed it now, but it was called the Junior Waratahs. So yeah. I was in there with um, Scott Seo, who's playing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was actually in there with Peter Beetham, funnily enough, and when he came to Leicester. Oh, wow. um, who else? Couple of couple of players that kind of done some some decent stuff in Super Rugby. So uh, played a played a few games for them against Queensland A and and uh, the Brumbies and things like that, and um, was kind of working towards that really. But I was only about four months in before I got. Before I got the chance to go to Leicester, so I kind of said to them, "Thanks, but I think I'm going to try, wow. try and take up this so, opportunity." I mean, so. To me, that's that's really strange because you know you, you're in Australia, beautiful country. I'm guessing the weather was okay, um, yeah. and you get to wear all that cool uh, cool uh, Warsaw stash. Why would you yeah. risk it to go over to Leicester for the cold? And you know, it, this isn't an actual you know starting place on the Leicester team. This is just just a trial at Leicester. Yeah, so, well, George Shooter, I remember him as well the first day going, what the hell are you doing coming to Leicester when you lived in Sydney, you idiot? So, yeah. um, he, he's not the only one that's kind of thinking <laughs> about that. But uh, it was just uh, too good an opportunity. I, I thought it was that, that kind of case of, you know, worst case scenario, I'll, I'll go back to Australia and I'll crack on with what with what I'm doing. So that's not a bad alternative. And so I thought I'll go back for the month and, and go from there, and in the end, Leicester said, "Look, we'll, we'll give you a contract." So, I was um, I was earning peanuts as a as a tree lopper in Sydney, and I just thought, <laughs> "Well, they're giving me a full time rugby contract. It's not, it's a bit of a no brainer, really." So, yeah, so- um, yeah, I gave I gave gave up that Australian life and and uh, headed back to Leicester. So, just something you mentioned earlier on, then was was your time in Australia the first time that you really encountered, for, uh, for want of a better term, uh, proper coaching? Yeah, I've got to be careful because I don't want to um, uh, put anyone's nose out of joint at Milton Keynes. But Milton Keynes is a is a great local club. Yeah, and I think it's level seven or level eight. Great people behind the scenes, but 
the club in Australia, like I say, their first team, I mean, they, they had Luke Burgess at nine, they had the Fianga brothers, they had their, Matt Tamua was playing. Bloody hell. Um, they had some they had some big players in their first team, um, but I was only playing third Colts. But they're 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 kind of under twenty ones coach, who who eventually went up to to coach the first team, um, kind of looked after the whole Colts Colts stuff. So uh, he was yeah he was a brilliant coach, and I hadn't really played with players of the standard that that I'd met over there. They they were guys out of the big private schools that had played Australian schoolboys yeah. or Australian under twenty under twenties. So I was I was training with these guys day in day out alongside having two or three decent coaches um, and and starting to progress and play at a decent level. And that, that whole thing put together was kind of how I um, improved as a player, really. Yeah, I mean, um, I was going to say similar, similar experience to yourself. Obviously, it's not because you played for Leicester Tigers. But, you know, <laughs> uh, c- coming through, like, level eight or low, lower league rugby, uh, we had a situation at Broughton Park where we had, uh, out of nowhere... A guy that used to play for Broughton Park went to Sale Sharks, uh, in uh, injury, turned his hands coaching. But then the difference, the difference of having someone who knows how to coach just over a short term makes such a difference to your rugby. It does, yeah, and it. I think the difference is is that they uh, they don't really tell you how to play the game or tell you what to do. But every training session, every training session we did was kind of. He, he pushed us and pushed us and pushed us and uh, we'd, we'd make mistakes, we'd make mistakes over and over again. But he wouldn't jump in and, and tell you what you needed to do right. He'd wait for you to work it out. Yeah. Um, and it sounds really simple, but it's a it's a bloody hard skill. Um, and that's a real difference between kind of really good coaches, I think, and, and coaches that are just, you know, kind of in there and, and dictating things and telling you what to do and how to do things. It, it, it's a, that's a difference, I think. Oh, I've been in many a, many a huddle where I'm just listening to people talk about lines of running or something which I just can't relate to because I don't know what it is. And I think the real good coaches put you in the situation so you experience what it is. It's exactly as you said there. It's making you learn your own lessons, really. Yeah, and I think if I actually compare some of the stuff we were doing in Australia to what I was, I was doing in England, it, it was all built around kind of um, like six on fours and uh, eight on sixes and things like that. So you're you're always working with a man ad- advantage or two men advantage, yeah. and that's what I mean by that. They'd, they'd let you work out how to try and get to space or or get the ball to space, and alongside that, playing with players that had a bit of skill and would try do things and little kick throughs and some of the skill level was was massive. So um, they're they're the kind of different things I, f- I faced out there compared to maybe here where it was a bit like Auckland grid style and hands <laughs> across the pitch and those kind of things you know that don't necessarily help you you get better. Yeah, it it still makes me laugh when we do Auckland grids. Uh, just ju- just prior to a game. Oh, now, now it's done for comedy, isn't it? It's not done as a serious <laughs> yeah. drill. Pass and follow. <laughs> yeah, pass. Pass and follow, yeah, yeah. All that, all that coach speak. Uh, so, tell me this then: when you get to Leicester Tigers, I mean, it yeah. does have a fearsome reputation um, as a club, and really so because it's because its history is so grand. Uh, do you get an impression of that when you walk in? I mean, are, you know, are you treated like an equal, or are you treated like someone who needs to prove yourself? What's the what's the feeling like when you go to a club like Leicester? Um, it is scary. I mean, I, I was quite lucky that I had uh, the, the coach I mentioned that got me the trial, Mike Pennison. Mm-hmm. I was quite lucky. He'd, he'd been subtly throwing in uh, bits of bits of detail about Leicester as a club and what the people are like and what training's like. He'd kind of obviously been building me up towards sending me over there, but without without me realising. Yeah. You know, we'd have a 10-minute chat after training here or there. So I kind of had an idea about what it might be like, but obviously facing it the real the real thing is uh, is pretty different. I say I got picked up by Jordan Crane the first day. It was actually Cockers. Really? Jordan picked me up after that, but um, the first day Cockers got me in the car and we're driving to the training ground. It's pretty quiet, and uh, I think his first words were, "So Ed, uh, I'll I'll know within thirty seconds whether you're good enough." Wow! Wow! And I, I said, I, you know, obviously being twenty-one and 
little bit naive. Oh, oh right, okay, <laughs> uh, that's good. And uh, he's like, if you're not good enough, mate, you'll you'll be going back to Australia. So oh. that was that was on the drive in, and then and then the, the, when I got in there, there's t- there's two training uh, changing rooms at, at Oval Park where they train. One one's for kind of the younger guys, uh, the less experienced guys, and the other ones for the the family men, the more senior blokes. And uh, I, I'd gone into this change room that I was told to go in, and I just put my clothes in there and got changed, and went up to the gym or did something, and, and came back, and all my clothes were in the bin. Oh, really? And uh, so I'm going, oh, oh crying out loud, you know what's going on here? And um, some some lad comes in, I says, oh, don't worry about that. That's Richard Blades, a spot that you're going to change, <laughs> and he'll, he'll just be doing that to uh, to make a point. So. Uh, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, just small things. I, I laugh, up, laugh now. I look back at it massively. It, it, it is funny, but um, yeah, it was it was a it was a that, the first day was um, scary. Yeah. So uh, I mean, when Richard Blaze does that uh, for you, is that point taken? Uh, yeah. To be fair, so <laughs> okay. Well, can you just tell me where is free rather than throwing <laughs> clothes in the bin? That's um, excellent. That'd probably actually. be a, a little bit more helpful for me. Uh, yeah. Um, Sorry, go. On. No, 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 that, that, that was my thought <laughs> process. So, uh, but you know, generally, every, everyone was they're pretty down to earth blokes at Leicester. Like uh, when I arrived, even, even the guys that I kind of seen a little bit on telly and heard about and, and watched, they, they they were all really easy to get on with. You know, they weren't they weren't spiky. There were no egos. Um, but training was just yeah, it was tough. It was brutal. So. Um, it yeah. just had to learn quickly. Well, back to what you said about Cockers. I was lucky enough to interview him, and he's he's many things, but one of the things he definitely is uh, is he's a character with quite a lot, quite a lot of gravitas, and he seems to kind of um, move between very serious and then very, very jokey. And you don't know exactly what it's, it's quite a clever thing he does. He kind of keep he he kind of kept, kept me off guard quite a lot, and then he draw, draw you back in, and then you're off guard again. He's got steely eyes, doesn't he, Cockers? Yes. Like- Piercing, piercing blue eyes. <laughs> um, yeah, Cockers. To be honest with you, um, I had a, a, a great time working with Cockers, and he he kind of mentored me, mentored me a, a lot through through my rugby. He kind of came down on hard on me when when I made mistakes in games, but but never never to the point where I uh, you know I lost any confidence. It, it was just that kind of attitude and. Um, yeah, he, he he was good, but but you're right. He he's a smart bloke. He's very street smart. Yeah, um, he he knows how to to own a conversation. That's that's um, a great phrase for him. And but ultimately, I, he he's just a winner. Like uh, you know, it's the most praise I, I I think that's the only praise he, he'd care about. Really, is he will do anything to win. Um, it says poor network. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. He, he, he'll do anything to win. He, so, um, a lot of that attitude rubbed off on on um, on the players, and, and that's you know you can see some of the the success he's had at Edinburgh in a short time. Yeah, I actually think the Edinburgh story is one of the nicest stories in in, in rugby. Aside from maybe the Stuart Lancaster story, which is truly remarkable. Yeah, well, I, I was reading about that last night. Funnily enough, I read read an interview with him in uh, might have been the Times. He was talking about his. His feelings That's after right, the yeah. World Cup, and it's it's brutal, really. When you, when in hindsight, when you look back at at um, the kind of uh, attention and and uh, bad press he got, he's 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 not a bad bloke, but uh, he was ripped to shreds. To be fair, no, I think it's one of those double-edged swords in sport, though, isn't it? You know, the higher you get and the more profile and money that you attract. You know, when you do fail, it it is going to be brutal. But on the flip yeah, side, when yeah. you succeed, you're an absolute hero. You know, it's it's uh, oh no doubt it's it's yeah, live and die by the sword, don't you? So, um, but yeah, I, it's good to see how well he's doing at, at, at Leinster, and I, I, I'm pretty sure there'll be a a few clubs after him that will want him in charge. I wonder what he'll do. To be fair, I have no idea. Yeah, I do wonder if he's lined up for a DOR role in the Premiership. It would. It would make sense unless he's so happy in in you know in Leinster. And on the other hand, why wouldn't you be? But yeah, right, exactly. And he says himself, it's a forty-minute flight from from Leeds. So um, yeah, he's probably away a, a bit more than he'd like from his family. But um, 
he's working with some of the best players in the world and he's he's winning trophies and yeah um, well you wouldn't give that up easily i don't think no uh, did you manage to catch any of the pro 14 final on the weekend or now now you're on holiday is that it no no i did i didn't see the pro 14 i, I watched the premiership final yeah um watched the bar bars game at the weekend oh let's let, let in fact I, I mean i'm not going to get you on the hook too much for this because obviously you still play with some of the lads but what did you make of that that was brutal yeah, it's hard. I, I can't say I was expecting it to be that kind of result. Um, I mean, George George Ford summed it up, didn't he? Afterwards, he said they were um, they're pretty embarrassed about it. He can't imagine Eddie Jones will be taking that too lightly. So it, it's not it's not something. A lot of those guys, he said he he didn't have a lot of players available, which is true. But there were still some top quality players in that in that fifteen. Yeah, um, that will play, I imagine, in South Africa. It's not really a game you want hanging over you as you go into a test series, I imagine. But um, you have to give it to the bar bars. Like some of the some of the tries they scored were ridiculous. It, it makes me think, though. There's a point that I made uh, made on Egg Chasers the other week. Like, does does contact with your players matter or does it not? Because judging by the bar bars performance, you can just get 15 of the world's best players, and they can beat a team that have been together for two weeks. So I kind of I, I just I was kind of left thinking like. This just shouldn't happen. I mean, maybe lose, sure, but lose because you were, you know, throwing interceptions or something. But they were just missing tackles, and that was the most bizarre thing for me. All their systems and processes, they just seem to go missing. And it, I think, as a camp, they're going to be so disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make excuses for the guys because I'm sure uh, they won't want them. But it, from from watching it, it, it wasn't your usual flow of a, a test game or a, a premiership game that you'd see, you know, that's quite structured and a bit um, what, pragmatic, if you like. Um, it was just play from anywhere and they, they were caught short, really. And alongside that, like you said, you got some of the best players in the world with a bit of freedom to play and, and do what they want outside of that usual like structure, if you like. And, um, you know, that that's where you got some of those tries from. But uh, it's, it, yeah, if, if you're an England player, you'd be a little bit worried about yeah. uh, how you came across I, to Eddie Jones because he made some comments in the about oh. about a, f- a handful of players um, showing they're probably not up to scratch, and you, everyone's looking around going, "Well, who, who's he talking about?" Yeah, do you know what? I really don't like that sort of attitude from coaches, and the reason I don't is I kind of think it's a it's a way out, and international coaches do this quite a lot. The the idea of the test match, test match animal, because in a way, it it kind of gets rid of the coach's responsibility to do the coaching and make sure the team's good. Because you can just turn around and go, well, you know what, I don't have enough test match animals. Well, sorry, you know, that's what you paid for. <laughs> I, you know, the, the, the simple answer to that is that there are definitely the players yeah. available that are more than capable enough of... of, of um, performance than they did against the barbarians yeah isn't there you know that you can't argue that there isn't isn't the talent i don't think i wonder if there's a sort of um, sorry go on. Was, that, that was it, yeah that was a, that that was a main point I, you know people coaches have different styles you know uh, i uh um cocker style you know which is you know pretty pretty obvious to see it's about digging in it's about working harder than the other team it's have you got enough fight are you strong enough are you capable enough to 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 play at this club or this level mm. and and now I'm I'm under a different coach at Gloucester in Johan who's very much a, a man manager and uh he wants everyone to feel part of the team he he uh, includes everyone and it's a different approach so it's the same I think it's the same um, at international level, Ed, Eddie Jones obviously works with guys very hard and demands a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, just thinking aloud here, I wonder if the flip side of this is actually when you do have players like Semi Radrada and uh, Victor Vito, maybe don't put them in a structure. <laughs> well, <laughs> there is an argument for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, agree, I agree. I agree. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um... I, I mean, if if I, if I was playing with with players like that, I, I wouldn't be. I'd let them do what they wanted to do. Really, they can they can do anything they want with the pace they got, the skill set they've got. Mm. Um, 
I don't know about Rado but I know Vito played sevens, didn't he? And there was a, yeah. there a few players that have kind of come through the sevens. I think I, I, uh, Ben Ryan had said something about, oh, sarcastically, sevens isn't a good development tool, but you can see, you can see the crossover in, in a game like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, it's, it's a difficult one because I guess the best athletes in the world at sevens might also be very, very good at fifteens too. So, mm, I, yeah, but you're not going to see me playing sevens, are you? So. That, there's that, only, that there's is only true. One, there's only one way, really. Yeah. The guys who are quick and skillful, um, and the rest of us will play 15s. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, just going back to yourself then, because I, I did go massively off uh, off topic there. Um, what's your link to Nottingham then? Did you get signed by the Tigers and then get lent, like loaned out to Nottingham? Yeah. So um, what happened was after after that trial in December. They said, "Okay, we'll, we'll we'll have you back. We'll have you back in um, in June, July for the start of pre-season." So I thought, "Great, I've got six, seven months to enjoy Australia for a bit, and then I'll I'll come back." And Glenn Delaney, who's now at the, the the Highlanders, yeah, he I was meant to play a game just as a I guess to prove myself um, in in that trial month for for Nottingham, and I went there and trained and the game actually got postponed for snow or something like that. And uh, I went away and kind of never really thought twice about it. And, and as I was about to go back, Glenn Delaney said, do you, do you fancy coming back at some point and playing for playing for Nottingham? Well, you know, you can come play here. We'll give you a car. We'll put you up. I stayed at Dan Montague's house, if you can remember, remember him. Dan Montague. And uh, I thought, yeah, why not? I'm, uh, I'll come back early. So I came back in March and played in the... In the playoffs, that was the year Exeter got promoted. So uh, we had a good team. We actually beat Exeter at, at, um, in Nottingham. Um, so really... I came back and played six games, and that's that's. Um, so was that's this where where my link to Nottingham was? And then I, I was kind of contracted to Nottingham uh, to start off with for the first season, um, but I, Richard Blaze got injured. Jeff Parlin was done. Uh, was out. Um, Lewis Deacon was was injured, and, and Lester said, "All right, you're staying with us." And I, I never went back. So, so, uh, um, so just yeah. just in Nottingham, then were you? Um, was that the time in Nottingham? Did they get Ali? Oh, who's the All Black? The All Black second row. Oh, Ali Williams. Ali Williams. No, that was a couple of years after. That was, was it. Um, that was leading up to the that was leading up to the World Cup actually, wasn't it? I can't remember. I just remember him being there. And I remember him kind of always knocking on the door to get to the Premiership, but maybe missing one or two players. Uh, did he had a hooker? Is it Duffy or someone who was phenomenal? Joe well? Duffy. Yeah. Yes. Joe Duffy. Yeah, Joe Duffy was a was a good player. He, he was at Nottingham, went to Leicester for a couple of years, and then he actually went back to Nottingham, I think. Yeah, like. Uh, he... But that that team, the team we had was. If I can rem- remember off the top of my head, it was a it was a good it was a good team. I mean, Tom Youngs was playing in there. We had Greg Tonks, um, oh, really? Tom Casson, the centre was playing. Mm. Um, Rousey was obviously in the row as well. He was a good player. Um, it was a, it was a good side. Can you still hear me? Sorry, yeah, literally just no ju- just Where did alarm. I jump out? No, no, no. It was uh, it was me then. An alarm on, on my computer went off. <laughs> uh, what uh, are you reminding yourself for? Believe it or not, I'm reminding myself to practice my stand-up comedy routine because I'm trying to do stand-up comedy on Monday. All right, are you going to you going to give us a, a joke? <laughs> Absolutely not. Come Absolutely on. not. It is. Um, I, I didn't realise I'm signed up to do Sunday and Monday, and uh, I practiced about six weeks ago. I've not I've not picked up a microphone since, and I'm absolutely bricking it. So that is that is what I'm practicing. That is why my um, alarm just went off. So no no material for the. For the podcast uh no no absolutely not although i'm thinking i think i might periscope it because my thought behind, my thought process behind this now i'm behind absolutely everything which is if yeah. i'm going to fail i want to fail on such a catastrophic level there's there'll be something in it so i'm going to get someone to peris to, to periscope the whole thing uh onto either egg chaser's twitter or my own twitter uh, on saturday or saturday and sorry sunday and monday so uh yeah <laughs> look look out for that yeah, you, are you going to tweet a link to that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll just oh, go. Right. Okay. It will just go live. But uh, yeah, I've got. Um, I used to do a rugby league podcast with John Wilkin and uh, and Mark Flanagan. Oh, what a legend he is! Oh, mate, he is one of the brightest guys 
that I've he is, met. He's a top bloke. Every time I, I well, I don't, I've never met him, but you, you see him on telly, I, I like the way he comes across. Oh, he's exactly the same in real life. He's literally one of the most charismatic blokes that that I've ever met. Um, back to the cockers thing, own, owning a conversation, he just does, and then he goes off on this, this sort of stream of consciousness on his podcast. Yeah. You think, bloody hell, that's that's pretty deep. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to. Is that any any recommendations on what to listen to then? Uh, Whippets and flat caps would would be the one. Okay. But yeah, they uh, those boys are coming to watch me as well on Monday because I just thought more the more pressure the better. So that's that's where we're at. Well, fair play, yeah. I'd, the idea of doing a, a stand-up, um, well, being the least funny man in the world anyway, but um, <laughs> yeah, doing a stand-up, mate, would be, yeah, do, do, good on you. So I look forward to watching it. One of the reasons I decided to do it is because, do you know Harlequins did it for their pre-season about five years ago? No, I didn't know that. What's the story behind that? Uh, I think it was a team-building thing, and they just decided to say, right, um, everyone, you're going to have a stand-up coach and in a pre-season thing. Uh, you're going to write jokes and, and tell them to the rest of the team, which I think would be terrifying and yet a, like, a great team-building thing. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's not terrifying telling it back to the team, I don't reckon. Oh, I bet it would be. You know, I bet it'd be even worse, actually. <laughs> no, no, not a chance. What, to a random audience? Yeah, I'd rather do it to randoms and like, than, like, you, yeah, definitely. No, I, no way. Oh. No way. I, I'd be much more comfortable delivering crap jokes to the teammates and than, than on stage. Mm. Well, we'll find out on Monday when uh, you know I probably won't do any broadcasting again for next si- next six months <laughs> after that. Another guy that was really uh, for- fortunate to interview not so long ago was uh, was actually Glenn Delaney. Um, so I, I thought I might just take t- t- take a moment to say what a brilliant bloke that he is. Oh, yeah, one of the best, one of the best. I've al- always got along with Glenn. I've got a lot of time for Glenn. He's um, he's. Uh, He's again great man manager. Yeah, like his ability to to bring guys together mm-hmm. um, and pull in the same direction is is kind of well that's it that's his kind of X factor. Yeah. But um, just on a one to one level, he's an easy bloke to speak to, and he'll, he'll give everyone the time of day. So I'm yeah, sure you probably had a decent decent chat with him, didn't you? Oh, he's absolutely brilliant. So the interview was good, but the thing which I really like, really, really liked about it, and I don't mind pushing my luck a bit, and you know, occasionally I do. I thought, you know what, I've got a premiership coach. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On my, uh, on my phone book. And I'm trying to write line-up moves for uh, the mighty Didsbury Talk H Rugby Club o- o- uh, o- over in um, Manchester, where I coach. Yeah. I thought, Do you know what, I'll just ask him if, uh, if, he'd, if, if he'd help me out. And next thing you know, I'm on the phone from, to him for about an hour. I thought there was, there is no need for him to, no need for him to do that. He's only spoke to me once, and I, it's just yeah. it's just a measure of the guy. Yeah, exactly. He's he's brilliant bloke, Clack. Yeah, that isn't yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Have you spoken to Rousey about him at all? I haven't. He'll, he'll have a lot. He'll have a lot more about him than than I will. But um, I I still speak to Glenn like uh, fairly regularly. Throw a few texts back back and forth now and then, but even particularly so now he's working with 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 major um at the highlanders so yeah well um, i've got a feeling you know that the new zealand rugby union have got pretty high plans for him and probably for major too do you think i i do yeah because what what gives you that impression well the fact that he went to canterbury and then so quickly from canterbury 
went over to Highlanders. And you just know that the guys over in New Zealand know which coaches they want and where they want them and and the type and the types of people and types of people that they want. And uh, yeah. it just wouldn't it just wouldn't surprise me. No, well, but he he lived over here for for a long, long time. Yeah. Didn't he? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back, and that's not any inside knowledge. That's just my my opinion. But I wouldn't be surprised if he came back just just as well. But it just have to be the right job. And at the moment, you have to say where he's at in New Zealand. You know what? Again, you know he's in a great position. Um, there, there'd be no need for him to come back. But I know you know he's, he lived here for such a long time. Yeah, that uh, I, I could I wouldn't be surprised to see him back. But they do also value these guys, don't they? Who go 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 abroad for, for so long? I guess the difference with uh, with Glenn. I'm just anyway, I'm, I'm literally just speculating here, which is he came over and he didn't really play at play, play at the highest level, certainly not international level, and he's made his bones as a coach overseas and then going back. And I actually think that the if you look at the current New Zealand staff and the head coach mm. before that, they actually they actually quite like that that approach of going away, learning, and then coming back into it. Yeah, and I mean, you see a lot. A lot of the best coaches weren't 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 the best players. I know it's always said it's a bit of a cliche now, but um, I'm not saying he wasn't a, a, a good player. I just know he had a yeah. shattered ankle by the end of his career. But um, you know, there's a there's an example of loads of coaches that didn't necessarily have like stellar playing careers that are unbelievable coaches. So yeah, I yeah, that's be a good surprised. point. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he ended up at the very top. I, I know how. Good a good a guy is now. Good a, a rugby coach is. So um, I hope he does get to to that kind of level because I, I think he deserves it. And uh, I was a bit disappointed with with, uh, with when he left London Irish really because um, I thought he was doing a good job there. Yeah, completely agree. I just think it is an organisational thing, and you know the organisation went in a, di- a, a different direction, which turned out not to be exactly the right direction. But it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so actually, during your career, you've you've only been at two 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 Premiership clubs, but you've actually yeah. experienced some pretty substantial coaches. I mean, we just spoke about Glenn. Um, you've had experience with Cockers, obviously Major, who yeah. actually the reports I get back from Major from the players in Leicester are very similar to the reports that I get back about um, Ackerman, which is just you know a pe- um, a people's person. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, again, um, majors. Uh, I think he's a, a top bloke, um, and it doesn't matter whether you're um, a British and Irish lion or, or whether you're a guy coming through the academy. He had absolutely the same amount of time and energy for for everyone. Yeah, and it, you know his real strength was bringing on some of those young guys. Uh, and giving them the experience and the confidence to, to play at the highest level. And, you know, you look at a guy like George Worth, for example, mm. who started games like Munster away in, in the European Cup. And, uh, you know, he, he played some good rugby under under Aaron. Uh, that was his, that was his real strength, I felt, was that he, he, he managed to, to kind of treat everyone the same. And the respect was there alongside having top draw coaching tactics experience whatever you want to call it mm. um so yeah you know he, he's a again another another bloke that kind of opened my eyes a little bit as to you know different ways to play the game different ways of managing people uh he's very organized um so yeah he's he's got a lot going for him and i, I think he'll, he'll reach the very top as well yeah completely agreed um now just in, in your experience, then, because you had a very strange. Well, this is your first year, first year at Gloucester, but it started off in a bit of a bit of, bit of an odd way. Your yeah. your move. Did you yeah. did you expect that? Were you called into an office one day? How did that? How did you find out about it? And how did it unfold? Um, it unfolded originally. I, I, I kind of understood that that Johnny um, that Johnny was looking to leave Gloucester. I, really know where or what he was doing mm-hmm. and then you know you kind of heard a bit of speculation that maybe he was going to Leicester but I you know I didn't think much more of it and and then I I'd had a chat uh, with the club and 
and Gloucester had said, well, you know, look, we're, we'd really like someone like Ed Slater. And, um, <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, so it was built on, on the back of that, really. So they they let their interest be known and, and Lesser kind of put it to me and we toed and throwed and I thought about it for a long time. And then, I, you know, I talked to David Humphreys and, uh, and yeah, as as you well know, it, it the way it played out was that um, I ended up signing signing a contract with Gloucester, and, and and that was a deal done. Really, there's not many times, you know, when there's a move like that and it's a win-win. Now, I, I don't know if you wanted to stay at Leicester or you know how you feel how you feel about it personally. May, um, may, uh, maybe you can tell me after actually. Uh, but this, <laughs> but but this did feel like a win, like a bit of a win-win. Leicester really needed. So, uh, really need some, really need need some help in, in outside backs, and Gloucester for the longest time have been looking for a forward. Well, much like you actually. Well, it's very kind of you, but let's be honest. When um, if 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 you don't know a great deal about rugby, or, or you know, you can still know a lot and probably not know who I am, but um, most people will know Johnny. Uh, you know, the reality is that you, you're looking at swapping. Uh, a club second rower for for an international winger, and I I imagine there was a lot of people at Gloucester that were going. Well, I'm not sure about that, and I'm sure there are a lot of people at Leicester going. Oh yeah, we got you know we got a bloke that that runs really quick and can score tries. So um, I think you know that that was the reality of the situation. But I like to think as the season has gone on, um, I've kind of proved my worth a little bit. I might not be a try scoring machine, that's for sure. But, um, <laughs> it's overrated, you know. Mate. You know, I can I, I trudge around the pitch and and try and do as much as I can. But uh, it, it was a, it was a, it was a strange deal, and um, you know, it, it was difficult to to adapt at first because it it kind of hit me from uh, the blind side, mm. uh, and it was was unexpected, and it all kind of happened in in two weeks, if you like. So you know, trying to arrange for a family of two kids and a pregnant wife it it was hard but yeah but a good learning experience you know without um you know pulling a sob story it was just uh an interesting experience getting through that and i was, I was quite lucky that i had um fraser balmain down here who's um who's oh. a good mate of mine owen williams you know, i guess moved at the same time did he not he, he moved that summer as well so um I kind of came down and lived with him for the first few months and Owen Williams as well looked after me and that made it easier to, to come into the club uh, and, and meet meet the guys. Mm. And then after that, um, I kind of see it as three periods. So like the first period was massive adjustment and I was kind of starting here and there and having some good games and then I was coming off the bench. The middle part of the season um, wasn't great. There's a lot going on and then uh, kind of hit hit the ground running February time really where I, I kind of managed to pull my match fitness to where it needed to be and, and then I felt I played my best rugby in that kind of new year to the end of the year. Yeah, see, I actually think throughout all you said then you've actually done yourself a massive disservice because I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm being abs- absolutely, absolutely genuine here that as much as Gloucester did not want to lose Johnny May and I, I don't think anyone would want to they are JB, smart enough Hello? Oh. Sorry, you cut out there on the not on the bit. You're going to talk nicely to me. It's some suddenly uh, cut off. So all right, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, no, no, no one wants to lose Johnny May, right? But I do think that the Gloucester fans are smart enough, and they've watched enough rugby to know that the thing that they need fixing, well, the thing they need fixing last year was that pack, and I think that was priority one, two, and three. And I think the club knows that as well because that's why I went out and bought a Foa and Hibbard, and they've thrown. Uh, they've thrown money at the problem in previous years. I actually think that that that, that swap deal was what was probably one of the smarter signings. Well, yeah, like like I say, I hopefully, you know, I've showed that um, although Johnny is a, a great player and he's an, an international class winger, um, like I say, hopefully I've I've, 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 do, I've done a decent job last season. And I, I actually personally, I know you, you you say I'm doing myself a disservice, but I, ge- I genuinely think. I played some okay and, and some good rugby at times, but uh, not not throughout the year for my liking. So I, I, I do want to, you know, the challenge for me is is to to be really consistent next year and and, and not turn up slightly overweight, 
slightly unfair. Yeah. Not match, you know, with not enough match practice and, and, and get a full pre-season under my belt. And now, you know, the family here and settled up, I hope that actually I can push on a little bit next year. So you said you're playing your best rugby. What what constitutes good rugby to you? I mean, what? how do you set your standards when you're in the video room? How do you like to be perceived by, 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 by the other lads? What in your mind is good is good rugby for you? For for me personally, yeah, um, it's in the detail for me. So, uh, you know, particularly at set piece time uh, around the line out, it might be uh, if if I'm calling the line out, you know, am I making good decisions? You know, what's my thought process? And I'm looking back at that around the park. It, my uh, my eyes are focused on how quickly I'm getting off the floor. Mm. Am I making my tackles? Are they dominant? Uh, and then how involved am I? How, am I influencing the game at all? You know, am I um, making a tip pass when when the when the hole opens up, or am I support? Is my support play any good? Uh, am I working hard enough to to get involved in the game and, and reading where the ball goes? So that's kind of a gist of what I'm looking at when I watch a game back and seeing, you know, how well I'm playing, I'll, I'll judge it based on, on what my eye thinks is, is a good standard, which I've, I've built up yeah. over the years of watching training and playing with, with players that are actually decent. <laughs> I absolutely love the one of how quickly can I get off the floor? Cause it's one of those things requires no skill, but it requires a lot of heart. It does when you're, you're as heavy as me as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Like I say, dragging an overweight backside around the pitch. And the King's Home as well. I've got to say, King's Home, the pitch there. Have they not had I the mean, hybrid I, pack I remember pitch playing there for Leicester uh, season before last. And we beat them in the last... We beat Gloucester in the last minute. Oh, was that the, op- the opening the season? Game, I was like, I think... Yeah, I don't have to play on that week in, week out. Was that the opening game of last season? It was, yeah. That was an incredible game. Yeah, we we were down by about twenty odd points. Yeah, and Sammy four tries down. Was kicking for goal, and we um, we drove Mo from the twenty two in the in the last minute to win it. So, well, I mean, I just and that was at the start of the season. So I, I remember thinking, oh, I don't want to play on this ever again. And oh. then sure enough, I was I was back there last year. But it was it's a boggy pitch, and to be fair to the club, they're spending a lot of money putting in a brilliant pitch off the back of speaking to the players, the coaches, the medical staff. And, you know, I think it's a really good decision and, you know, quite excited actually to have a good firm pitch, hopefully for, for next year. And I think it'll make a difference with the way we, oh, we're we playing rugby. I think some of your back, oh, of course you've got Danny, Danny Cipriani showing up next year, which is, yeah. which is brilliant. Um, I don't know how he's going to fit in with, with all that talent because Billy Burns isn't too bad. Uh, but no, he's quality. He is, isn't he? He's um, he's got that sort of X factor about him. In fact, they're both fairly similar players, truth be told. Yeah, I'd say so. I think um, Bill was was one of the guys I was most impressed with when I turned up. I didn't know a great deal about Billy. Obviously, I knew who he was, and uh, you know, and all those things. I knew the usual stuff. Mm. Um, but when when I trained with him, the more the more I played with him. Um, he's a real, real talented bloke, and uh, I still don't think we'll have we'll have seen the best of him. And he's only a young guy, and he's played. I think he's twenty three or twenty four. He's played a hundred games for Gloucester. Has it? I'm sure I, he might I mean, actually be younger than that. Yeah, well, but you know that that helps my point. But <laughs> yeah, it does. He, he um, yeah, he's played a lot of rugby, and uh, I still think he's he's got a lot more. Um, to his game that he, he maybe hasn't demonstrated just yet and that's not a criticism I, I think no. he's, he's been quality I think he can he can really push on so so I, it's going to be interesting obviously Danny Cipriani speaks for himself and you know everyone knows how talented the bloke is and you know maybe they'll work well together yeah um, uh, well I mean just having the two of them I mean uh, it's so hard to stay fit the whole season and if you've got two two guys of that standard well more power to you yeah, right. You got to see it as, you know. I mean, obviously, um, you bring in five five um, class locks. I, I wouldn't be completely happy, but um, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you can't argue that you need that competition across the squad, really. So, um, you know, in, the, in from that point of view, 
yeah, having having a player like like Cipriani come in um, and push the standard up in in training, push the quality up and across the squad. Mm. Um, you know, that's part of professional rugby now. You got got some quality players in, in if you look across all the squads. Um, there's a lot of good players floating around. Yeah, well, I, I think I think one of the indicators to how how deep the Premiership is in in fly halves now is there was no immediate team that needed Danny Cipriani. I think most teams would be improved by him, but that's different to saying you know a few years ago everybody needed a fly half. It feels like almost everyone has got a fly half now. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Um, I don't know a great deal about um, what was going on behind the scenes for him, but. Whether whether he'd had a chat with Eddie Jones and he knew he was going to be involved with England, maybe he's holding out for that. Yeah, yeah maybe, I think that's maybe it. other teams thought he he was going abroad and that was that. I, I don't know, but that's just me reading reading between the lines. But mm. um, yeah, to see him turn up at Gloucester, like like I say, it'll be it'll be a, a good addition, and and I think it'll really push the standard of of the squad and and, and as I say, training yeah yeah to, to another level. I think. Yeah, I mean, back, back back to Billy Burns. I always think the reason that I know he's really good at rugby is because he's got such such small arms. And I think you're gonna have to be seriously <laughs> talented to pull off that look. Small in what sense? Like T Rex arms? Or yeah, you just like just like little spindly arms. You know, he, he's, he he looks like such a slight guy. And it might be because he's because he because he plays next to uh, Mark Atkinson, who's six foot four. But uh, I think yeah, God, yeah, he um, is a small bloke. Hell of a tackler, though, Billy. Oh yeah, I, like, but I mean that's we'll kind put of put his head in at like we'll tackle. I remember him putting uh, Will Skelton down pretty comfortably, and Will Skelton but, must love have that. about a hundred kilos on him. Yeah, what, what's, what's Will Skelton like? One thirty, something ridiculous. Quite, he, he feels heavier than that when you try and tackle him. So you've been to Leicester, you know, you know, Gloucester, two clubs I consider two of the grandest and oldest in, in well, pretty much in all in all of rugby. Uh, yeah. Is there? Do you find them quite similar, or is there a distinct difference between the two? Um, I think the, the difference will be in crowd size, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, less of well known, they get twenty plus thousand comfortably for every home game. Um, but other than that, that when when I was kind of weighing up the move, I kind of always after being at Leicester thought, you know. I, not bothered about money, but I'd I'd like to play for a club that's got decent support, um, good history. You know, th- those kind of things I think are quite important. If you're going to go and play for a team yeah. and you want to buy into it, it's pretty difficult if you're playing in a half-empty stadium, I imagine. Not that that um, certainly I, done it. Well, I watch Sale quite, quite a lot and uh, it, it, can, it can be testing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know... And, Motivation, you know, is different for different people. But personally, I felt like I wanted to run out at home with a decent crowd, vocal crowd, and so yeah, all, all of that stuff was was actually a big driver in in um, in attracting me to Gloucester, and it didn't disappoint. Like the noise, I, I tell you, the noise when we beat Exeter in the first game of the season, coming from the shed. I can only imagine. I genuinely haven't heard that kind of noise at a rugby ground. It was. Um, I was I was pretty shocked by it. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant, brilliant night actually. Yeah. And um, that's not just me being PC because I played for Gloucester now, but <laughs> it was it was uh, pretty uh, pretty loud. So um, yeah, they're they're important things, and certainly there's a lot of similarities between the clubs in that sense. Mm. Uh, well, embarrassingly, you know, I've never been to Kingsham to what to watch Gloucester. I've been to Kingsham to watch Wales A, but never to watch Gloucester. So that that will be on my on my list of things we'll to do for next year. In the shed, then. Exactly, exactly. I'd, I'd, uh, I would fit in perfectly yeah. there. <laughs> do uh, you actually support a team, JB? Have you got? I don't know. Uh, do you, the only the only team I do support really is a team in North Wales called RGC. You've probably never heard of them, but um, right. they're like Wales's fifth region, and um, they're slowly developing. Because I'm from North Wales, right? And there is nothing in North Wales in terms of professional sport. Everyone watches football. They all support Liverpool. And there's a smattering of rugby clubs. And then all of a sudden, the WRU put this RGC thing right in the middle of it. And it's been a tremendous success. Well, getting there. I'll have to look at When we finish, I'll, I'll go and do a bit of digging on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting project because they just got all the local lads in the area. And this is kind of what I meant before, actually, when I was talking to you about good coaching. The difference between having a bunch of really low-level, kind of level 8-ish teams 
and the difference between that and then winning the Welsh Premiership and also the Welsh Cup, would, yeah. it's, it's just coaching. I mean, there's one or two players they, they bring in, but yeah, they've they've gone they've done really well in, in the Welsh Premiership. They've won the Welsh Cup, um, and they're literally just one level below the regions. So if I had a and, team, uh, it'd be uh, that uh, one. A lot of those guys playing in that side, they've been just playing club rugby and, yeah. and not really been on the radar of 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 like other premiership clubs or, or the regions originally so it's um this is quite rgc centric now but originally the story behind it was um they were just going to bring in local lads and that's basically what they did until like a couple of years ago the guy uh, my best friend from back home who lived next door to me captain uh, captain the club so it really was local lads that had just played yeah. a, a, a lower standard they put me in a professional style setup with you know with a good gym and some cracking coaches. Phil uh, Phil Davis coached there, Mark Jones, oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah uh, um, so I guess say Kai Horseman, not Kai Horseman, Chris Horseman. So yeah. you know they've had some good coaches and they've just improved gradually, gradually throughout. But the other thing that they did, which I find equally as interesting, is when the South Walesians needed to improve a player, they would send them send him to North Wales because if you can imagine being in the Swansea Academy, being from Swansea, uh, things can get slight, slightly crazy yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it be drinking or going out or, you know, just being a lad about town. Surrounded by your mates and, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, so they ship them off to North Wales where there's nothing to do. And they live in, like, I don't know, <laughs> uh, like Clan Roost like or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You show up at six o'clock, you train, you play, and then when, you, when you're upskilled enough, they'll send you back down to the Ospreys. So it, I like that. I'll, I'll, I'll look into that because I'm interested in. I mean, obviously, looking after rugby, I'm I'm interested in like um, like talent stuff, like youth development, because I'm convinced. You know, my my story is not not unique in rugby in the sense that I started late and I got myself into the professional game. I think if you if you look across rugby, there there'd be a fair few guys who were late starters, yeah, or late bloomers, or whatever it is. Um, and I still think. I still think there, there's there's got to be another way of of, of, um, of finding those those kind of rough diamonds that are floating around the leagues or um, those younger guys that maybe haven't thought about rugby or taking up rugby and yeah. and um, they can excel. So yeah, it is something something I'm keen on. I quite like the sound of what what you're talking about. Well, as well. well, particularly front row and second row because you know I, I, it depends really, isn't it? Front row, I, I think, because you can be a good a big bloke but not not necessarily be premiership standard um and then you might just drop out of the game or you might fall down the leagues and those boys they're, they're very valuable i mean you don't really get very strong until you're what 23 24 you know there's loads yeah, of them. I, yeah i'll tell you another one and and you could argue nowadays i mean probably um five six years ago you, you could argue that if you're going to play in the front row you, you you know your technique and all of those things had to be you know spot on or you had to be a, a different level but now, you know, the, the scrums in and out these days. I'm, yeah. Joe Marler came out recently, didn't he, saying he was a dying breed of prop? Because, uh, mm. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry, I'm just questioning Joe on that one because um, he says he's a dying breed, breed, breed of prop. I mean, that comes from a guy with an insanely high tackle count and, count and, and work rate. I'd, I'd actually say, say he's been a little bit modest there. But, yeah, I take his point. But, no, I, and I, I know Joe to a reasonable level, and. not I could see what he was trying to say is that he 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 was, you know, as he was coming through in the game, everything was scrum 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 scrum. You know, yeah, you've got to be that that's your priority. Whereas I'm not a hundred percent convinced nowadays, it's the real priority. I think you can get by in the scrum, uh, and if you've got real X factor around the park, um, teams probably prefer that nowadays. Yeah, well, do you know what? I actually think it, it's, it all goes in a cycle. Because I feel like I've been waiting for the demise of the scrum for the last 10 years now. And scrums will depower. They'll depower slightly and you'll get a new breed of prop in. And then all of a sudden you'll get a couple of bigger props in and think, oh, hang on, this, is, this, is, this was a terrible, idea. Um, a terrible <laughs> idea. What were we thinking? And it's, Yeah, but if you, if you compare like the... Like, this is getting a bit like nausea for you, but... You compare like how they used to engage to what they engage now. Yeah, it it's a lot. You know, you, you still see dominant scrums. Don't get me wrong. You don't really see uh, turnover ball much on scrum, do you? You see the the guys attacking with the ball, putting the ball in, dominating another side. But you don't necessarily see 
see the other way around. Well, yeah, that's true. And I think this is law of unintended consequences here, which is when they took the hit away, they penalised basically the more technical prop. So you could be, let's think of someone who's really, like, really, really athletic. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, who's um, like, Matt, like Matt Mullen, right? You could be a really athletic prop that can run and do everything else. And if you were really good technically, you could probably be a little bit weaker and lighter and still win all your scrums and be dominant. Now, because they've taken away that hit and that technicality, it's basically who is the strongest guy. They've actually made propping even, you know, reward, uh, it rewards even bigger guys now. And I think... Yeah, no, that's a fair point. You see you see the props nowadays are like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, They're enormous. Like, it's frightening. Look at some... Uh, um, oh, I, forgot, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Is it Power, the guy at the Saints, the young guy? Um, at Saints, um, Powell, Hill. Tired. I can't, I can't remember his first name. There's Paul Hill, and he is uh, he's quite he's quite quite a big beast. Um, who's he? Um, yeah, but I mean even, even younger than him. Who's that uh, then? I, I I don't know him. That's embarrassing. In fact, I'm I'm gonna have to look it up because it'll it'll do. There's Kieran Brooks, obviously. Yeah, Brooksy. Who's he's there, massive? Is he? I'm talking about these young guys coming in now. Uh, here we go. We'll get him up here. Oh, Painter, not Power. Aaron Painter. I've not, I've not so, seen this lad. Okay, well, look, look, look at Aaron Painter, and he is, he's massive, six foot four, maybe, maybe taller, hundred and thirty kilos, and then ADL. you got a guy at Leicester, Joe Hayes, who, who again is like six foot three, hundred and thirty kilos. Sam Graham Slaw at, at, at Tigers, who's six foot four and hundred and twenty kilo. Like. The, the young guys coming through that are playing those positions are massive. They are. They are. So, um, so you, it, yeah, it backs up your point that I'll actually tell you probably taking away the engage helps the bigger bigger guy. But they've got to be able to get around the park now, haven't they? Yeah, well, I'll tell you something interesting, right? It just anecdotally kind of like links into this. I was talking to a director of rugby the other day. Um, yeah, actually, I'll tell you who it was as well. I'll, uh, it was Steve Diamond. And Steve, Steve Diamond was saying that he doesn't worry about buying props now because he can make them. As long as he's got the right body shape and strength, he can make a prop, which I thought that was a fascinating comment because props have been paid so much for so long and they're so rare that for a director of rugby to say, yeah, just get me the right body shape and the rest I'll do, I thought it was that's quite a bold statement. Yeah, yeah, and, and you wouldn't you wouldn't say Sale have, have ever gone really for massive props in the last few years, have they? Like really. Names-wise. They've, they've had good props that have turned, turned out to play really well. Well, yeah, I mean, the latest tight head they've got at the moment is, and yeah, I, you know, I've, I've, I've probably thrown him a bit under the bus here after I've said what Steve, Steve Diamond said, but um, it was um, <laughs> is Will Griff John, who is an enormous man, and yeah. he, uh, well, yeah, and where was he playing Doncaster? Doncaster, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so uh, yeah, there, there, there's a, there's a point like he's he's come through, like someone like um, Tom Francis as well, who yeah. was picked out of nowhere and. Yeah, you're, you're right. These these guys, Steve Diamond's got a point. Yeah, well, a, a, an interesting thing on Will John. Kind of mould him. Like, the last time he missed a tackle was, uh, he missed two against Gloucester in, in, in December and hasn't missed one since. To, was it me sidestepping him? He actually said that. Probably. He said that the first one you, that you ran over him and the second one you sidestepped round him. Like, all, all yeah. court game. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember it clearly because I think it was my only... And carries ever. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so post rugby, are you looking to go into that sort of like talent development then, or talent ID? Um, yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to stay in rugby because, believe it or not, now, you know, maybe I only started as a sixteen-year-old, but my, my expertise really in my apprenticeship has been served in rugby. So I feel like that's where uh, my my strengths lay. So, you know, long long term. I'm studying on on a course up in Manchester. Oh yeah, uh, a direct for um, at Salford. I'm on there with um, Matt Tate's doing it with me. There's Matthew Hoggard and Kelly Southern and the athlete. And there's there's some yeah. good sports. Oh, people, the cricketer Hoggard, yeah, yeah. People like Mark Allen, who's director of football at Rangers, and so they're good people on the course that I can kind of learn from. And then yeah, the, the aim is eventually I, I, I'd like to take on that role of. Um, like the director or general manager, whatever you want it to be called these days, yeah, um, and probably move away from coaching because uh, I, I like the uh, I like the other side of it. I like the recruitment. I like the 
contract negotiations. And, I'm interested by that stuff. Now you've just—I I was about to let you go. Then I was about to, uh, you know, wrap it up. But you've just triggered something in my mind. Yeah. Uh, do you think there is an optimum structure for rugby, or do you have a structure which you prefer in terms of what the coaches should be doing, i.e., coaching players, and then maybe what you have a director of rugby doing or a chief scout that kind. I haven't just told you definitely that I want to be a director of I think um, I have obviously I've a lot of thought and and talked about it with people that are interested in that stuff I I think there's a place for a director of rugby because I think you've got guys now who right well after one hour and three minutes of talking continuously about rugby Skype Finally decided to give up the ghost on Ed Slater. I did try and get him back multiple times, so I've just edited this little bit back in. And sadly, we just couldn't get him back. So, me and Ed did finish off our conversation over the phone, but that's going to be between us two. So, if you want to know what he said, tough. You can't. In the meantime, though, you can follow us. You can subscribe on Twitter or subscribe on Acast. Or actually, just make sure you get the podcast downloaded on a weekly basis because it is important. And leave those reviews on iTunes because that, of course, is vital. If you want to follow Ed, he has got a fairly large presence on Twitter. I think he might be on Instagram too. Go follow him. Really good guy, as you can tell. One of the few professional rugby players who you get a feeling actually really loves rugby so well worth well worth a follow huge thank you to him and uh, of course thank you to you guys for listening because as i said before i really do appreciate it next week we will have someone else for you uh, to chat about rugby but until then thank you for listening and goodbye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.